There ain't nothing in the world that I like better than bacon and lettuce and homegrown tomatoes. Up in the morning, out in the garden, get you a ripe one, don't get a hard one. Plant them in the spring, need them in the summer. All winter without them is a culinary bummer. I forget all about the sweating and digging. Every time I go out, pick me up there. Whiz, Wally, it's time for Yard and Garden Live again. Yay! On Friday morning here on Red 99.5. 90 minutes of questions and answers to your landscape problems. Nebraska Accession Educator Nicole Stoner and her guests going to solve anything that's going wrong on your outside. And we call it Yard and Garden Live. You just need to call... 402-729-3383. And now, here she is, the lovely, talented, Nicole Stoner, Little Rough Gloucester. It's enough. <laughs> it's enough. They get too carried away sometimes. Nicole, good morning. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> Look at me. I'm just like raring to go here. Yeah, it's an exciting day. Yeah, yeah. you know, we've had, we've got some rain. We've had warm weather. We've had a little bit of this. We've had a little bit of that. Exactly. Uh, I noticed that in <laughs> my little part of the world, some little bugs have been eating on uh, some of the leaves in my garden. Yeah, we've got a lot of bug issues. Yeah. I, it's I, a buggy time of year. <laughs> you did. Uh, <laughs> I just uh, uh, took the, the cap off of the seven or eight, oh. one of the two, and dusted and walked away and said, you're on your own, guys. Pretty much all you can do. You know. Oh, uh, so, yeah. Maybe we'll have some calling questions about that or maybe yeah. um, some turf problems or mm -hmm. tree problems. Um, who knows? It's kind of been a mixed bag this year. Yeah. And uh, tell everybody the delightful little person that you brought here into the studios. I brought with me Kathleen Q. She's the Extension <laughs> Educator in Dodge County. Welcome. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, Nicole. Okay, I, I like little short people. You know that, Kathy, right? <laughs> yeah, it's tall yeah. people. Yeah. There's, yeah, yeah. I, I'm not. Yeah, so. you know, we could, we, we would, we would look. We could pair up well on the dance floor. Mm -hmm. Yes, for yeah. sure. And you could yeah. even, you could probably even wear heels. Yes, and that would be okay. Yeah, yeah. My my husband tells me a lot of short jokes. <laughs> Is that right? yeah. I've got a friend in uh, in Diller who uh, for the past. 14, 15 years, anytime he sees me and he's with somebody, he'll go, hey, this is my friend Randy. He's the only person in Nebraska who, on his driver's license picture, you can see his shoes. Oh. <laughs> he's done the same thing for like, it's like one, two, three, and here it comes. So, yeah. Yeah, you know, that's a good one. Yeah, short jokes. Mm -hmm. Wow. Really? I might, yeah. I might use that with someone I know that okay. you, might, you might know. Okay. <laughs> Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. So, um, so tell everybody about, uh, about Kathleen and um, her background and so well, on and so forth. I'll let Kathleen tell us. Yeah, right? absolutely. Uh, I'm, in, I'm a track certified arborist. I um, track as tree risk assessment qualified. Um, I'm also uh, do a lot of different programs with pollinators, mm -hmm. uh, the Nebraska Pollinator Habitat Certification Program. We look at different uh, things that people can do to make pollinator hotspots in their yards to really benefit pollinators. Some really great research that came out of, uh, I think it was Missouri, that's found that the it doesn't matter the size of the pollinator garden. It's just important that you do it. Uh, so even 
you know, apartment dwellers that have just that little designated balcony space sure. can yeah. put in a container and benefit pollinators. Mm. Um, I work a lot with the um, nutrition education program to do something called Growing Together Nebraska. It's where we raise food for the food insecure. So, And I heard through the grapevine somewhere that you have done an extensive study on our friend, the bindweed. Is that is that right? Yeah. I was talking about that. Yeah. Well, I think it was Scott yeah. last week. or was Yeah, it, it was uh, a week ago. Weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was, it's not a fun weed to <laughs> <laughs> research because, no. you know, the root system goes down 30 feet. And then so wow. in some instances over a given area, it could be conceivably one organism. Wow. You know, so. 30 feet down yeah that's a you know three-story building uh, approximately not quite but i mean yeah. that's that's pretty deep that's there. massive and it really emphasizes the importance of not bringing something in just because you think it's pretty because that was brought in oh. to this continent uh, oh. because somebody thought it was beautiful pretty little white flowers right you know they are kind of pretty oh. they are kind of pretty <laughs> Um, but, you know, it's escaped cultivation, and now it right. comes up all over the places. You see it in fence lines, along creeks. I mean, it's just all over the place. Sure yeah. see it in my house. Yeah. yeah. It's it's yeah. pretty bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, whichever one it was, I think it was either John or Scott I've had recently, because um, Kathleen used to work at the Douglas Sarpy County okay. office. Yeah. Um, and so one of them was telling us about that and how you put the ends of it into the little um, flower water containers that you get, like, with a rose and you put the pesticide in there and just leave it on the plant, um, on the weed. So that was kind of a cool tactic. Yeah. Yeah. It's one thing to help uh, the plant take it in a little better, mm -hmm. but it's still frustrating. Yeah. Right. It how, is. How, how in the world will it ever get down 30 feet to the real root of the problem, right? Yeah, that's the problem, because even if you're using a systemic herbicide, there's no guarantee that it's going to be translocated that far down yeah. into the ground. And so um, I often tell people with that particular weed that it, the most important thing that you can do to eradicate it is have tenacity on the part of the person who's trying to get rid of it, because any other thing, impatience or anything like that, is not going to get rid of that weed. It has to be some you're really dedicated to yeah. to getting it eradicated from a space. So. Yeah, and yeah. just as soon as you do that, it comes back. Guess up. what? A bird's going to come over and or something, you know. Yeah. And then you'll get to start all over on it again. Mm -hmm. I, you know, uh, you're right. I, you know, when you say tenacity, you mean uh, the, just the the will to go out and the, the and trade, keep having the not trade on the part of yeah, the not weed the owner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, not the uh, not nope. the yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's here, and it's probably going to be here to stay. Uh, however, someday somebody's going to figure out how to get whatever it needs to get all the way down, and that guy probably won't work another day of his life. You know, <laughs> whoever figures that one out, huh? Right. Yes, I would say. Yeah, really? <laughs> sure. Uh, is bindweed pretty much uh, universal from top to bottom to end to end in the in the U.S., or do we know? It's throughout the Midwest for certain. I don't know okay. about the East and West Coast. Yeah. It got its name from, as you would think, as they're combining to harvest, it would get in the head of the combine and bind, bind things it up. up. Yeah. And so they'd have to stop, you know, uh, clean out the head before they could resume again. And so it's it's definitely that something that costs us crop-wise, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Uh, 402 <laughs> 
is the phone number here on Yard and Garden Live, 402-729-3383, If you want to become part of the program, we'd love to have you. Uh, give us a call. It looks like all of our lines are open, and we can get you right in right away. So you were talking about something invasive that was brought here, um, and that was probably intentionally because of the beauty of the the flower or whatever. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but uh, another one we're dealing with right now that's out and about and destroying a lot of plants would be the invasive Japanese beetles, which that wasn't brought here because it was pretty. That was brought here accidentally, I think, in plant material probably. Yes, infested plant uh, material. And uh-huh. so that one is the, the green beetle um, with the copper colored elytra which would be your the the big wings on a beetle um so the back is copper colored uh and they've got little white stripes on the side um because they got these little tufts of hair along the side um and so that's that japanese beetle and they are out and about and being quite aggressive right now um and they're difficult to control so um seven works for them um and some of the there's a lot of other products i lost right now one that's chlorantranilipril will work for that one too right yes mm-hmm. which is a mouthful that's a fun one to say yeah <laughs> just stay with seven <clears throat> be okay. and uh but don't use the traps those are just going to bring more in than what you already have so the other thing is just to make sure that you've got a you, that you did do a grub control and if you didn't put it on your calendar for next year to do that about mid-june um to help with help manage those but yeah. we uh we have a caller well, let me see. Make sure we get our phone all set here. This is, uh, <clears throat> pardon me, Darlene up in Wilbur. Yes. Hi, Darlene. What's your question? Uh, I have my, uh, I have some peaches on my peach tree, and they're bigger than a, a walnut, and they're falling off. Why? Mm. The peaches are have de- started to develop, and they're not very big, and they're falling off. Yes, mm-hmm. and they got water. I'm wondering if it's a poor pollination issue. Um, So it it can, if they didn't get pollinated correctly, um, they may start to form the peach, but it's not full. It's not pollinated right. So then they'll just drop those. Mm -hmm. The other issue associated with them, Darlene, is that um, all fruit trees are capable of self pruning their fruit Mm -hmm. when there's too many of them. Um, A lot of times, you know, we're, We really want every single fruit that comes on those trees. But the thing is, is that unless we take that um, time to space out the fruit so they're about a hand width apart along the branch, then there's really too many fruit there for the tree to successfully ripen. So between incomplete pollination or just too many fruit, those are probably the factors at play there. There aren't too many on there, though. I know they're not overpopulated. Uh, So that's not the problem. Um, Hey, uh, how old is your tree? Uh, Six, probably. Last year it was loaded. Yeah. Does that one need a pollinator? Uh, Peach trees need a pollinator. But the other thing, too, they're a lot like apples in that you can have very productive years and then Mm -hmm. not so productive. Right. So maybe you're just in that unproductive year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Probably. And then then with the peach tree, it's not really uh, a strong survivor, right, in Nebraska. Right. So it it can also have some other problems. And Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, sometimes sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not maybe, huh? Right. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you for the call. We appreciate it. Mm-hmm. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. That is our phone number. We have open lines. Give us a call. 402-729-3383. So, you know, one of the things that people forget, especially like during that pollination period, like for all of our fruit trees, is like this year it was pretty chilly. And bees can't fly unless it's 55 degrees and low enough winds. So if they're not out and about, you're not going to get that pollination. So they had flowers on. Maybe they survived the frost, but if they didn't have that pollinator moving around, we're not going to get that pollination, and they're just not going to develop. Mm-hmm. Um, so Paul used to talk about June drop with apples, and they would do that um, because they didn't get a very good pollination um, during that period. And so that's just one of the things, you know, you gotta got to remember that, yeah, the flowers might be there. Yeah, they might have survived, but did they have bees on them? Yeah. You know, I was at uh, uh, over the 4th of July weekend, went to uh, Nebraska City and spent some time at Arbor Day Farms and uh, we're taking the little tractor you know tour as my well anyway so anyway they uh, the tour guide who seemed to know what she was talking about this is my daughter uh, she was saying that uh, at Arbor Day Farm they actually rent bees mm-hmm. to come in I mean they, obviously they have more than just a few trees to pollinate but they actually rent bees. There's a people that have a bee rental business, in yeah. other words, and that's to me is just crazy. They travel them all around the United States. Is move, that a fact? Mm-hmm. And so, do they move them in like honeycomb boxes? And do they actually come back and and vomit honey in the in the boxes from all over? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do. Wow. Yep. I wonder yeah. what, you know, they you get a little on bit. A, on a semi, I think, isn't it? Yeah, usually yeah. on a semi huh. is how they move those around. That's incredible. But Close up the box. Part of the reason that we want to really be in tune to what our native pollinators, our native bees don't make honey, and but they're uh, the better at the pollination pollination, product. okay. Yeah, so just 250 native bees do the work of roughly 30,000 honeybees. So if we could just figure out a way to move the native bees around Mm -hmm. to get them to pollinate, they would be better at that job. And I was talking to an entomologist one time, and he said that we're probably like 10 years out from figuring out how to really promote them well enough Mm. so that, you know, we don't have to bring in honeybees all the time because we think that movement around of honeybees is what's creating this colony collapse disorder where they're get they're getting disoriented. Sure, you know, they forget okay. where they live. So well, I got the I got a perfect idea. Just unionize the Nebraska bees. Put them all in the union. <laughs> give them little union cards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Randy, that works. I like yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> just so stupid sometimes. If you figure that one out, that may be something okay, yeah, where yeah, we would be, be a, a long uh, time, yeah, like you know, bindweed, never work again. Yeah, yeah bindweed exactly. kind of thing. Okay, well, you know, million dollar idea I just gave somebody for nothing. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we have we have some phones stacked up here. We've got Becky from Beatrice, but Becky, right before we get to you, I want to talk with Lacey from Fairbury. Hi, Lacey, what's your question? Hi. Um, recently, I made a little rock bed right behind my house because, like, no grass would grow there. And after we made this pretty rock bed, now there's a little hole that got burrowed into the backside between the house and the air conditioner, and they it threw all the dirt on top of the rocks and I found the exit hole the other day and another little flower bed. I'm also making into a rock bed. 
what would that be and how do I get rid of it? How big is the hole? Yeah, yeah. Maybe two to three inches max around. Not real big. So it's And the dirt is like pushed up around it? So um, it's about a, maybe a two and a half foot space between the air conditioner and the house. And it, there was just a line of dirt probably 20 inches wide all the way to the house that they threw up out of there. There wasn't a mound or anything. It was just pushed up out of there and the hole coming up right next to the air conditioner. What's the name of that one? It's not the groundhog. It's the... Can't think of it. And they have, they have a latrine. Mm -hmm. A common latrine. Yeah, which one um, is that? Oh, I'm trying to remember. So you're not thinking a mole? Because that was kind of where my brain was going. It could be a mole. Yeah. With, I guess if it's a mound in mm -hmm. a run, like is that what you're getting? Like a run and it, it's kind of mounded up. It's a run. It's not really mounded. Okay. It's yeah, just... yeah, yeah. Probably the mole. Mole. Yeah. But, but she the... said it, it, it was. It, it, it's not pushed up. Uh. -uh. Oh. Yeah. Then it could. But maybe a vole. But with the rock, the sheer weight of it may That's be gotcha. um, keeping it from well, really the, showing. They, it dug right next to where like, the rock edge would be up against the air conditioner. So there's. No rock. They push the rock away from that spot, but oh, it's just a little hole, and then it's all flat dirt. Let, let's get a better better picture of the size. Of, if you took a golf ball, would it would it cover up the hole completely, or would it drop inside the hole? It drop inside. It's that big. It's, it's, it's it, I'd say at least two inches. Okay. Not a little bit more, but I wouldn't say three. Okay. Yeah. You know. Um, the animal guy. Do we have an animal guy coming this year? We don't. No. And, and you he know, doesn't really do extension anymore. Doggone it. Uh, because it's kind of a specialty. Uh, uh, a pocket gopher was the one I was thinking of. Would it be a gopher? A pocket gopher? Well, a gopher makes a cone-shaped uh, dirt pile um, with no exit hole on it. There's just that area of a plug where there's a density mm, that's true um, it would all be underground yeah now see and, and Lacey, she don't really care what it is she just no, wants I to just know, get rid of it yeah, you just want to get rid of the doggone thing <laughs> yeah and Lacey, the reason that we're trying to figure that out is because once we know what animal it is we know their eating habits and we can target recommendations based on those eating habits to help you better eradicate that particular mm. critter so um I know I've seen ground squirrels like across the road a ways, um, run across the road like a half a block down. Uh huh. It's old schoolhouse, so I don't know if there's ground squirrels or. It could be. I mean, but ground squirrels above. Yeah, and they're two inches is pretty big. Yeah, I mean, it is. It would be more like maybe an inch or so mm -hmm. for for those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm still kind of leaning towards moles. It might be a mole, or would it be a vole? Vole it's is about the size of a mouse. Yeah, and oh, that, gotcha. that's too yeah. big of a hole. That's vole. too big of yeah, a hole, too. That's a so. big, big hole for a vole. Yeah, so by the process wouldn't, of elimination. It would be a woodchuck. Woodchucks are big They're holes. real big. I though, mean, right? they're, yeah. they're a good four to six inches that's across. That's what I thought. So, yeah, it's not that big. Yeah. yeah. I would guess so probably a, a mole. A mole, yeah. Mm -hmm. and what do you do to get rid of moles? And the main uh, diet of moles are earthworms. And so... You can go to the hardware store and get a product that looks, smells, and tastes like earthworms to moles. And um, you can put that into the run area where you're seeing those, those tunnels. And they'll eat that particular product and ingest the toxin and die from it. 
And it's really weird because generally when people have moles, they'll call the program and they'll go and, and, and the, they, will, they will be told that there's probably only one or two moles. Mm-hmm. And they'll go, oh, no, there's got to be more because the whole backyard is you can see where they have uh, gone underground because everywhere they go, it pushes the ground up a little bit. Yeah, so, there's not any ground pushed up that I can see Yeah, anywhere. so this is really different than, than what we normally hear uh with with moles but yeah i don't know uh maybe maybe it's time you added a cat to your <laughs> to the to the lacy home if i mean if it were to come out of there she could put up like a trail camera to see if she can get a camera a picture of that. what it is oh, if it comes good. out yeah yeah um and you know and if it if it so they'll they'll try to swim through the soil until they come into contact with something and so if that your house foundation is there that would make sense for them to come out of the ground in mm-hmm. that spot mm-hmm. and you and it might be that it's not mounted up very far but if you stepped on it you might if you stepped on top of that run area does it smoosh down smoosh is the well, scientific my term. husband yeah. had this bottle of like rodent deterrent he sprinkled that stuff down in there and pushed all the dirt back into the hole and a couple days later it was dug back out again so it's active run mm. what if it's a mole well, it's an it, active the hole spot. wasn't there like a couple weeks ago when we made the rock bed okay so it, this just happened yeah and it ruined my rock bed <laughs> <laughs> i'm not very happy <laughs> yeah lazy yeah you could try the the worms um mm-hmm. or and the where do you get that product or what's it called um, it's got a weird name. I've seen it. Yeah, uh, it, it's a Tomcat brand. That's, that's it. Yeah, uh, Tomcat it, something. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks like an earthworm. It looks like it looks like the worms that fishermen buy. You know, mm-hmm. the the plastic the worms mm-hmm. that they buy mm-hmm. to you. Kind of looks like that. But for the most part, you know, ninety nine percent of the people who call with uh, molds are you know we steer them towards the uh, harpoon. Yeah, uh, trap. trap works pretty uh, well. But it doesn't sound like maybe it doesn't. It, it might not work for you. I'm just. And uh, if you if you do use the worms, um, they're big, but put the whole thing in there, because the poison is only in one half, like one end of it. So people want to like break them in half and use them more, but um, that's not going to work because it's only one side that has the poison in it. Um, but so is yeah, that something you can get at Walmart or I don't know if they yeah, have it. Do I, they have you know, hardware stores. I think hardware. hardware. I think I think. Hardware. Yep, mm-hmm. I think they do have it. Yeah, I think I've seen it out there. I would say. Yeah. Uh, or either that, or just keep filling it in and see what happens. That's what I would do. Mm-hmm. You know, and maybe I'll put a trail camera out there. That would really be yeah. cool too to yeah. to do that. And if yeah. you don't have a lot of cats and dogs in your neighborhood that come visit your yard. You can try experimentally using a snap trap, just a regular mouse trap, mm-hmm. and um, you can bait it with you know, bird seed or something like that, just to Even see. Even peanut butter with bird seed mixed into yeah. it, something like that. Mm-hmm. You bet, and then um, just see what you catch that way. Yeah, yeah. Or you or might it, it might be gone. You know, your yeah. snap trap might be gone. Then you know, whatever it was was pretty big. Mm-hmm. It yeah. stepped in it and drug the trap off. Yeah. No, we're out, we're we're just all full of ideas, aren't we? <laughs> aren't we, Lacey? <laughs> well, I'll see what I can figure out. Okay, yeah. Got, thank you. Uh, thank you. Let's uh, let me see. Uh, Becky, you're next, and Nicole from Carney is after you. Hi, Becky. What's your uh, question? Good morning, guys. Hey, um, I missed the first part of your show, so I hope you haven't answered this already. But 
Um, we seem to have a ton of wasp nests at our house this year. Um, we have two wooden decks, one by a pool and one just right out of the side of our house. And they love to build their nests up underneath those decks. And I was wondering if there is anything that we can get to keep them from building those nests up from underneath those decks. Are they and around our house. mud type? Are they mud type nests? No, they're not mud. They're those. They the paper wasp like, ones. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, unfortunately, there's not really anything you can do to keep them from building the nests. Uh, the best is to just, you know, knock them down carefully um, as you see them. Um, but, you know, if you do that at night, it's less chance that you'll get stung. Um, you know, go out at, after dark or whatever so that they're in there and you can spray the, um, the nest with a wasp spray uh, or just mm -hmm. knock it down and get rid of it that way. But... There's not really anything you can do to keep them from coming back. Yeah, typically, you know, the old timers, when they had porches, they would paint the ceiling on the porches blue, and that was to kind of replicate the sky, and that would actually be kind of a discouraging way mm. to keep wasps from building nests. But, you know, it sounds like a really tedious job to paint the underside of your deck area yeah. blue, but, you know, it is, that would be the only thing I know that would act as a deterrent. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Well, that's unfortunate. There's not something we can do. Our grandchildren keep getting stung out at the pool. So oh, no. Yeah. We're out there just diligently every every day, if not every other day, and spraying those silly old wasp nests. So. If you do wait at, at night, you'll get all the wasps mm -hmm. because at yeah. night they're all going to be there. there. If you're doing it during the day, mm -hmm. yeah, you're going to get the one that, or two that might be hanging around there, but the oh. other ones that are out doing their waspy tasks whatever that is but but they generally all come back and go to bed at you know at, at yeah. after dark so you have to take a flashlight but they're real mm -hmm. they're they don't really fly i mean they just no. stay there and get sprayed and drop straight to yeah. the ground yeah yeah if, yeah if you put no, red cellophane over the uh end of your flashlight you'll disturb them less so that they stay put better mm -hmm. while you're spraying them yep oh okay all right all right very good well, thanks, guys. Appreciate the information. You bet. Thank you. Good luck. We used to do that Thank with, you. when we used Bye. to go out and get chickens at night, you know. You'd put the red <laughs> cellophane over the, and then you could hook their little feet. Uh, wow. Uh, Nicole from Kearney, were you yes. on the road or? Yes, we're on the road. All right. Well, you've stumbled across Yard and Garden Live, and you have a question. Go ahead. Okay, so I have a couple peony bushes and a hibiscus that are both turning um, yellow, and my leaves on my on both of those, well, especially my peonies, are brown. There's holes in my hibiscus. I, I don't know if something is, if there's a blight, a virus, if, if I've got something eating on it. I can't see anything. I just thought I'd call and see if you had any advice. All right. Ladies? Yellow and brown makes me think fungus or a watering issue. Yes, me too. Um, I thought about the water, but I'm, I'm definitely not overwatering those. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and 
notice Nicole said that it was a watering issue. So she wasn't making a statement on overwatering or wonder, underwatering. It's just a watering issue. So sometimes yellow leaves can indicate an underwatering issue. So maybe look and see about how much is being applied if you have an irrigation system to see, you know, if there's okay. um, maybe too much or too little. They need about an inch of water per week. And if they're getting more than that or greatly less than that, then that could be one of the issues that you're looking at. And in the case of overwatering, that's when we tend to see more foliar issues on those plants. Um, how do you, you said you're not, they're not overwatered. How are, I mean, are you watering them at all? Or if you do, how do you do that? I'll hit the hibiscus probably once a week, maybe twice. The peonies just get a little bit of um, sprinkling from the uh, lawn sprinklers. So when you say you'll hit the hibiscus, how are you watering that? Just with a hose. And you just like hold it there for a little bit? Yep, I hold it at the roots. Okay. You so know, I was 20 say, seconds maybe. Okay, so I was going to say make sure that you are watering at the base of them. And sometimes um, maybe a slow irrigation might be a little better for those plants because, and I don't know when you planted them, but... Um, the, when you just hold it there for just a little bit, uh, for a few seconds or whatever, you're not really getting a good deep watering for that plant. And so the, you're not, it's, it's just hitting the top and then it spreads out versus you want it to go down a little deeper. Um, okay. so that could be, and you know, the peony would be the same thing if it's just getting irrigation from your turf irrigation, that's not getting very deep for the plant. Um, so that would be something to keep in mind too, just to make sure that you are watering deep enough versus just okay. giving it a drink. And if you could find a screwdriver <clears throat> that's about, mm, I don't know, 12 inches long, you can kind of probe mm -hmm. the ground around mm -hmm. any plant. And, and you can, you know, the more you do it, the better you get at it. But if it goes down real easy, that means it's really kind of moist, maybe even super mm -hmm. moist. If it doesn't, if it takes all you got to get it to go all the way down to the handle, then you know it's way dry. So it's okay. just it's just a way you can kind of go out and, you know, self-test. I don't know. And as far as the holes in the leaves go, I mean, that could be an insect that's causing that particular issue. Um, but sometimes there are foliar diseases that mm -hmm. cause that because what happens is when the center of that circle um, dies out, it falls through. Mm -hmm. And so it gives the appearance of insect damage, but not. And I don't know if you got a lot of hail. Hail can do that kind of stuff, too. And we sometimes forget about that later on. Um, okay. We're like, okay, no, now there's yeah, holes. But, yeah. oh, yeah, we had hail. So sometimes oh. you don't put that always together. Um, but that could be causing some of the holes as well. And, okay. And, and we don't typically see holes as necessarily something as an actionable step uh, where you're needing to get out the arsenal of of insecticides <laughs> in order to eradicate that particular problem because the plant can handle loss of s some leaf material and still be perfectly healthy. Okay. Well, we'll see if they pop out of it. I'm okay. just concerned about them turning, you know, they would start with brown spots and then curled up brown and holes in my hibiscus, but we'll see if maybe they'll pop out of it if I check that water better. Yeah, and then um, this fall, Make sure you clean up those plants real good and get rid of that plant material because if it is a disease and you leave that plant material there, it's going to be there for next year. So at the end of the season, clean those plants up and get rid of, destroy that leaf material. Okay. 
How far down do I cut my hibiscus? Hibiscus dies back to the ground every year. So Really? Okay, okay. Good, good, good. Okay, well, that was helpful, and I really enjoyed uh, the previous question. I learned about the blue ceiling on the uh, Isn't that cool? I, you know, that, that is very that cool. Was my very grandma neat. had one of those, and I, I always thought it was weird it was blue. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> my, my Aunt Luella had one, and it was just always cool to go out and sit on her porch because it was blue up there. Yeah, very painted much. blue. Yeah, it really was. I yeah. thought my the same thought. Uh, Nicole, thanks a lot for calling and safe travels and uh, and good luck. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much. You bet. We'll be back with more yard and garden life. Man, that flew by quick. We'll be back in a flash. Don't go anywhere. Your phone calls coming up. We are back with more Yard and Garden Live. And during the break, Barbara called in. Barbara is calling from Moroville. Hello, Barbara. What's your yeah. question? Go ahead. Uh, we was wondering how to kill elm trees in our pasture. We've sprayed it three years with a helicopter with Remedy and Tordon, and it's still not killing them. One second, I'm getting my pesticide guide. All righty. My weed management guide. So you, you, they're elm. we're talking elm trees, not cedar trees, right? Elm trees. Elm trees. Jeez, elm trees have generally just had a tough time their whole life, haven't they? Huh? I'm, I'm wondering if it's maybe the Siberian elm, which is mm -hmm. a real aggressive seeding tree in our area. They is come it? up all over the place. Okay. And, I could see where they would be a problem in a pasture yeah. area. So somebody in yeah. the area probably had one initially that, you know, all the seeds blow in the spring. They look like um, miniature flying saucers. They're kind of a light green in color, and they've got a bump in the center. And, and Oh, I've seen those, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, they'll, you know, I, I've even had just mulch that they land in, and they'll germinate. So it's incredible how I have definitely they, seen those. They do look like little UFOs because right in the middle, they've got that little bump. That's yeah, the actual yeah, seed itself, yeah. and the, the flat part around just it is actually the mechanism the, for how it moves through the air. You know, know. Like no strings like uh, bagworms, you know, but nature has its own way of Figuring out how to get its seed from one place to another. Yep, dispersal. Yeah. yeah. So what? when are you spraying these products? We've been spraying with the helicopter in the spring. Okay, so you said uh, you'd used um, Grazon, right, or Tordon? Tordon and Remedy. Okay, so you can use Grazon, or the Grazon P&D, or Remedy, um, but your time frame might be a little off. Um, so the, the application time for like your Grazon is full foliage um, June to July and a basal treatment anytime. So if you cut it and then do a basal treatment, you can use that at any time. But otherwise, it's like June to July. Um, and the remedy, I think, is about the same time frame as well. Um, so it might be that you're a little off on the, the time when using that. Um, so... Oh, we've been spraying it in June usually. In June, okay. Um, they have the wide leaf. They're not the Chinese elm. They're some other elm. They're, they have the, wide leaf. Yeah, if it's a wide leaf, then it's got to be an American elm. Mm -hmm. okay. American elm? Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what yep. I'm thinking. Um, so, I mean, are you cutting them first or just spraying over top of them? Just spraying over top of them. You might try cutting them first and do a stump treatment. Uh -huh. 
too many to catch. It's in a pasture along a creek, and we've killed the cottonwood and we've killed the uh, locust, but the yeah. and hedge, but the elm we can't kill. Mm-hmm. Okay. According to the weed guide here, um, that you can use like your 2,4-D or the Grazon um, full foliage June and Ju- June to July. Um, otherwise, like your remedy and um, you know. Just make sure you're doing, like for trees greater than 10 feet tall, the rate is per 100 gallon of water is what it's saying. So it's like three quarts or two quarts per 100 gallons of water. Thank you for your information. Yeah, it doesn't sound like it. It's not yeah. a, a, you know, that yeah. pastures aren't my number one area. Um, right. And so I'm just getting what I, um, from the weed guide here. So that's what. They suggest. Can you? What about fall spraying? Does that do any good? Fall, um, they're saying you can use um, spike 20p under the drip line, uh, or a product called I don't even know how to pronounce that one. K R E N I T E S, and you can use that late July, August, and September. And the okay. results are going to show the following spring on that one. So. Oh, I think we lost her. Yep. 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 Yeah. Bad cell. Yeah. <laughs> those are those are tough, and the bigger they get, the harder they're going to be to control. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, if they get too large, it's you're not going to be very effective with the we, control we, if, we you're gonna tr- if you're not going to if you're not going to cut them first. Gotcha. Yeah, and for Barbara, you know, the constraints are that, you know. The taller that tree is, the more you're lofting that material in order to get it on the leaves. And you need to get it on the leaves because that's the part of the tree that's actively taking in that herbicide. And, and of course, the more you loft it up in the air, the more it's going to go in places that you don't want it to go. So pastures and trees are really hard uh, to manage those tree populations. And so that's why Nicole mentioned cutting the tree down and treating that stump. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the... Um, uh, NRDs have things on their website that show how to manage trees in pasture areas, but the first thing they do is they cut those trees down. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Yeah, that's hey, going to be a tough one. And, and I don't want to bad talk anybody this spring with a with a helicopter, but I would just think with a, a helicopter, you you have the addition of of also having the you know the the blades of the helicopter stirring up the mm-hmm. air as well. But I know they. They, they use helicopters for a lot of over-the-top crop mm-hmm. spraying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But maybe that's not as effective on trees as it is on crops. I don't know. I'm glad I don't have a pasture with those in it. <laughs> that's what I don't. Uh, Butch from Fairbury. Hi, Butch. Yeah, a quick question for you. Sambers, dicker vines are called mul- multiple things. What is the best way to get rid of them? Are you talking sandbirds or are you talking puncture vines? <laughs> they're two very different plants and they're controlled okay, in two very different vine. is it the broadleaf one with the yellow flower yes it is yeah so puncture vine is a perennial weed and that one's harder to control two yeah four, it's actually a woody plant mm-hmm. so yeah is it really? in the fall will work for that one is that right yep yep any of the broadleaf and and i think a lot of times too when you're talking about managing a woody plant in the fall of the year you could do quint uh, something where you're doing a tank mix, yes. So 2,4-D and some other broadleaf 
herbicide mixed together and then applied. So if you cut off that plant to that fresh wound, you're applying that herbicide to keep those mm. plants managed a little better. But regardless, it's probably not one and done, huh? Yeah, I would do a couple applications in the fall. Yeah. In that area. In the where, fall. Yeah. yeah. Really what you're doing is you're disrupting the plant's ability to overwinter successfully because when you mm. disrupt that movement of carbohydrates down into the root system for winter storage, then it just doesn't survive the winter as well. So it's very effective. Plus you'll get all your chickweed and mm -hmm. all that other yucky stuff mm -hmm. if you do it in the fall. This is in your yard, I assume? Uh, yes. Yeah. It's just spreading is just nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yep, 2,4-D in the fall. And Keep after it. And you want to get on that, um, at least, um, if nothing else, like this year, if you can do something to disrupt the, the seed production so that you have less moving about. Um, so whether that be mowing it so that you can get rid of it, um, doing some trimming, things like that, to keep it from flowering and setting that seed for more. Okay. Yeah. I thank you very much. Thank you. Good luck. Yeah, we're yeah, needed. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, this is not going to work here. Let me, let me take this phone call. Hi, Denny. This is Randy. I'm on Yard and Garden Live right now. So uh, how about I try to get you called back here in a little bit? Will that work? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's about 13 in front of the hour of 11 o'clock. We have open lines for everybody but Denny at 402 729 Three three eight three four zero two seven two nine three three eight three, the telephone number. Talk a little bit about uh, bagworms. Is that a, an, an issue for you, up where you are? Terribly so. Is it really? Yes. I'll be darned. Yeah. Uh, you know, I was I was telling this to another guest uh, down here. You know, we you know I, we think of bagworms. We're thinking of our windbreaks and. This, that, and the other thing. But, you know, the truth be known, I mean, we have as many bagworms as t in town as uh, do, uh, you know, the larger areas that have, you know, larger cities. Mm -hmm. But you, you're seeing them. Yeah, part of my region is Blair, Nebraska, and uh -huh, Blair sure. has just been fighting those. Um, they seem to prefer the spruce trees over just about any kind of evergreen or... So it's uh, been an ongoing problem that just, in some cases, the trees have become truly ugly from mm -hmm. the amount of bagworm damage that's on them. And I often ask clients who ask about that is, you know, the question isn't really, can you save the tree when it's that ugly, but do you really want to right. save uh, it? Yeah. Because the trees are so deformed at that mm -hmm. point. Uh, and that usually represents, you know, two to three years of running infestations that they've right. had with that particular insect. Right. They should, I would guess that they're probably past that uh, half-inch mark at this point. Um, I haven't actually had a lot of calls on bagworms this year. Um, you know, since we had such a uh, devastation to their population last year, good, a mm -hmm. good devastation to their population, but really demolished their population, um, it's going to take a while for those populations to build back up again. And so at this point, it may not be needing spray. It may just be, you know, pick them pick off because you don't have very many. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, but, in a, you know, in a few years, they'll be back to that devastating level again. Um, yeah, and all the trees will be so feast of, you know, mm -hmm. they'll just be like 
Yeah, they haven't been eaten on for mm-hmm. a couple of years right. very heavily, and so their big neon sign says, we're open for lunch. Yeah, Bagworms going, yeah. Yeah, so I haven't had too many calls, but I would guess we're probably getting past that point of treatment. So remember, if they're uh, larger than a half an inch in length, uh, the treatments are not very effective at that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, And Nicole, do you <clears throat> think it was just the dryness of the winter that really um, desiccated the eggs, that, and that's why they didn't well, was, winter as well? Well, it was the cold winter last year when we had negative 29. Mm-hmm. That killed off pretty much all of them oh, yeah <laughs> um and so and yeah the dry winter probably didn't help for this year's population either but uh, yeah I, I know that they're out and about or they were you know um jody and kate were talking about them uh, but i not had many calls on it at all i don't know if i've had any on it this year so wow. which is good yeah, yeah no it's kidding. good keep that population low absolutely <laughs> we'll be back with more yard and garden live quick time out And hopefully we'll be back with your phone call, 402-729-3383, Hello, and welcome back to Yard and Garden Live here on a Friday morning, and everything's here. Everything's here except for your phone call, so... Uh, 402-729-3383 is our phone number, and we have open lines right now. We'd love to hear from you. Before we go too much further, uh, last week I was beginning to tell you all about Mm -hmm. the Plymouth Improvement Association Flowers and Art Show. Uh, It is tomorrow, this Saturday, beginning at 10, running through 2 at the Plymouth Community Building Photo, arts, flowers, garden vegetables. Uh, enter your displays by 930. Uh, the doors themselves will open at 730. So you can bring them in bright and early. Also, there's an open house out on Day Lily Drive. That is five miles west of uh, Plymouth. The Day Lilies are in bloom. Have you seen them? Have you seen the Day Lilies on Day Lily? Li- I haven't. You haven't? No. Uh, I saw a... Uh, a uh, person that I had friended on Facebook had a picture of them, and they are incredible. I've heard good things. Have you? Yeah. yeah well, lots the, of different colors, right? Yeah, like. and uh, just a really, really pretty. And that's five miles west of Plymouth. The day lilies are in bloom, and the big Plymouth uh, Improvement Association Flower and Art Show. And once again, thank you so much, Nancy, for letting us know about it so we can tell others about it. That is this Saturday in Plymouth. And I do believe we have a phone call. This is Daryl from Beatrice. Hello, Daryl. Do you have a question? I'll try it one more time. Daryl. Quick uh, comment on the bindweed. Oh, sure. Yeah, you're on the air. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, I grew up with uh, uh, stories about bindweed for my father. He's his version of how we got bind. Is it is it a clean story that you can we tell would... on the air there, Daryl? And you're breaking up. What's that? I say you're breaking up, Daryl. The version was that. Uh, Russian immigrants, Russian farmers, 
had uh, gathered bindweed seed and brought it to this country for sheep pastures because that's the only thing they knew wouldn't the sheep wouldn't grub out of the ground. Oh. And uh, uh, so uh, areas that had uh, like German Russians or, or those were actually Russian people where they immigrated to like Nebraska, that was where uh, they never brought it because it looked good was my version of it, what I heard. It was for the, it would not be grubbed out by sheep. Okay. Hmm. And so, that's probably a, a logical explanation as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Hey, thank yeah. you for the call, and thank you for listening. Some of our plants are, were brought here for, like, erosion control uh-huh. and things like that, too, um, because they worked so well, but eh, they worked a little too well. They worked a little too well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383 is our phone number on Garden Garden Live. If you'd like to be part of the program, we'd love to have you part of the program. Let's uh, get to the phone. We have open lines right now at 402-729-3383. Really had a, a lot of nice varied questions this morning guys yeah you know randy um with the rains that we've been getting it's finally warming up my garden is finally starting to like wake Uh, up good for you it's been (laughs) so slow this year and um i've noticed you know i've got some fruit set on um, tomatoes some peppers and some zucchini not harvestable yet but we're getting there Yes, finally. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. It's been so slow this year because it's been, it was so cool and then it got so hot so fast. And so it's been a, a slow growing season. But it, I think they're finally starting to say, you know what, maybe I'll, maybe I'll produce some fruits now. <laughs> I like to watch um, the CropWatch website for soil temperatures. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of monitoring that. And I was really amazed at how long the soil stayed cool this yes, spring. Yes, it did. It was I mean, it really extended deep into uh, June, it seemed like. You yeah. know, it was really s- slowing things up. So if you are just now getting cucumbers or things like that, don't feel bad. That's the way a lot of us are right now. Because I still haven't got any cucumbers. You haven't got no cucumbers no. yet. I'm very sad about it. They're my, one of my favorites. Yeah, I, my, my vines aren't. I've got, a, I've got a zucchini I'm checking daily because, you know, it's they're getting there. Right? Yeah. You know, and zucchini, if you look at them one day, they're too small to harvest and then the next day it feels like they're like giant yes uh, they can so make canoes out yeah. of them so, <laughs> so we yeah. we watch that one about every day me and my dog go take a look at it so um but yeah it's it's been very disappointing you know i, I want to have that produce from my garden and it's just not coming out yet so yeah so you, you're actually seeing the same thing Oh yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah in our in our county fair stuff and oh, yeah, yeah, you know, sure. just stuff is just you know not there that you would typically see yeah, this time of year. Yeah, you know. yeah. Four zero two seven two nine three three eight three four two four zero two seven two nine three three eight three. Our phone number on Yard and Garden Live on this Friday morning, and once again, uh, every Friday in July we will be here. Uh, and then we will be taking a break for August and I think the first week. I think we're yeah, I think we're second yeah. and third week. Second in and third again in September, when we'll be back. Try to remind you at that time that it's time to get out and uh, if you want to take care of your chickweed, that's the time to do it in September. 
and uh, clover and dandelion mm -hmm. and boy you just about name it it's yeah. a pretty good time to fall's a good time to treat for a lot of our uh perennial weeds yep and, right. and the winter annuals mm -hmm. and uh 402-729-3383 is our phone number on yard and garden live love to have you part of the program 402-729-3383 402-729-3383 um you know we, as we were talking about the gardens one of the things that are starting to become a problem again well two of them would be our favorites the squash bug and the squash vine borer uh -huh. um, so if you haven't treated and you're noticing some damage or noticing the the insects around um, you may want to get the seven or eight out um, and take care of those um, make sure for squash vine borer you're looking at the base of the plant getting that really good underside of the leaves for squash vine borer and i've had some um i had a call just i talked to a gentleman yesterday i think um he had his cucumbers wilted like overnight but he wasn't noticing from the squash vine borer so i assume it's probably cucumber wilt virus which is spread by the beetles um the cucumber beetle there's a striped and a spotted cucumber beetle um so base of the plant underside of the leaves top of the leaves top of the leaves will get the beetles so <laughs> mm -hmm. that way you'll get all of them for you so and if you've had an ongoing problem with those insects on your squash or your cucumbers or whatever Floating row covers work really well yeah. in order to kind of isolate those plants and keep those bugs away. Of course, you have to take it away once they start um, flowering because you need that pollination mm -hmm. from insects to occur. Yeah. But it's a great way to kind of interrupt that life cycle of some of those insects that want to make use of your plants. Yeah. Let's go back to the phone. Logan and Gary are ready to go here. Logan from Mahaska, you're first. We'll get to Gary next. What's going on in Mahaska? Well, nice range, but my uh, three yellow scores, and I think you probably just answered my question, two, two of the plants just wilted and died, and I've been putting seven and eight on them. And the other variety, which they came in the pa same package, looked fine. Yeah, and some of our varieties are more attractive to different insects than others. You know, um, you can find certain things on zucchini where you don't see it so much on cucumbers and that. Uh, but if they they wilted and died pretty well overnight, um, yep. And and if you don't have that damage at the base of the plant, that would be squash vine borer. Um, so if you've got that kind of a hole and it kind of looks chewed on a little bit, um, and just kind of messed up there there at the base, um, that would be squash vine borer, which can do that too. If you're not seeing that damage, then you probably had the cucumber beetles spreading that wilt virus. Well, yeah. I didn't didn't see any beetles on underneath the leaves but no these particular beetles feed in the flowers oh, and okay. and that's what kind of makes it hard oh, to apply sure. an insecticide because you need those fl flowers to be there for the pollinators and you certainly don't want to kill them as they're moving that pollen around and so really what you want to do for the striped and spotted cucumber beetles is watch to see if the flowers themselves have those insects in them. And you can hand collect them. That's a good thing to do. But a lot of times when they're feeding, they do a certain amount of spitting. You know, they spit first on their food before they eat it. It's kind of a pre-digestion kind of thing. And that's that spitting that inoculates the plant with a pathogen that causes the wilt. What a disgusting animal. <laughs> You know, gotta, gotta love insects. Gotta so tell you, aren't they fascinating? Logan, I'm <laughs> sorry you have to. And this is uh, 
if it's the one that bores into the isn't that the one that's kind of like you get you get it once and it's probably going to be back right with all of these once really? you start seeing them in there you're probably going to continue to see them yeah um the cucumber beetles are maybe less common we don't we see them but they're not usually like a huge problem but the biggest thing is that they spread that virus um you yeah. know their the damage from the beetle itself is very minimal mm -hmm. um yeah. in in real so so check the there, blooms right there's nothing you can do in the spring before you plant no we don't no there's not really a pre-plant anything because these insects are flying in um okay. so yeah so they're moving in for you all right thank you all right, thank you for your call, Logan. Let's go and talk with Gary from Plymouth. Hi, Gary. Hello. How are you? Good. <laughs> What's going on? Uh, we sprayed beans a couple of weeks ago with Ingenia, and the wind was just barely out of the south under 10 mile an hour, and there's a tree uh, about 200 feet maybe north of it. The leaves turn yellow. Mm-hmm. And tripled up on her. Is that going to come back next spring, be okay, or is that going to take enough into it? Uh, depends on. It's a walnut tree, I believe. It's a walnut. Um, how close was it? Oh, probably a good 200 feet away from it. Okay. So. There's trees that were closer that weren't, you know, they didn't seem to bother, but this must be more susceptible to it. Well, it's kind of a warm, humid day, so I'm thinking it must have volatilized just enough to drift a little bit. Yeah, there's move a little bit, and there's nothing you can do about it now. No, um, unfortunately, it's it's more time and wait and see how it comes out. Um, once you know they can be hit, uh, our trees are pretty resilient. They can be hit a couple times, but if they're continually being hit by a herbicide, especially if it's a heavy damage, um, it will start to take a toll on the tree and and kill it and depending on how much you know got onto that tree it could have killed it in, yeah. in Kathleen all you can really do is practice you know best management practices for the tree is you know um, you know doing everything you can to make sure that the tree um, can weather this on its own because there isn't anything that you can apply that's going to counter what's happened yeah. there so a couple inches two to four inches of wood chips or shredded bark around the root zone area no landscaping fabric or plastic underneath. Uh, refrain from using any other herbicides around it. Even lawn herbicides like dicamba can translocate to trees. Water during dry spells, that's going to be really critical for the tree. And then this may sound counterintuitive, but you don't want to fertilize. Um, a lot of times when we figure out our trees are under stress, as good tree managers, we think, oh, we mm -hmm. need to fertilize in order to help that tree. And really, that's the last thing you want to do. There's a lot of research indicating that when we fertilize a stress plant, we actually deepen the stress that that plant is going through. Right. Yeah. Well, that's our hope is that it got the south side of them turning yellow and it triples that next spring. It didn't damage it enough that it'll come out. We'll see what it does next spring. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and what Nicole said here is critical, that it's really important that the tree doesn't get exposed to a herbicide again. Uh, yeah. Because we do see it all the time. A few years, the tree um, can recover from it if it's not exposed again. But trees that have it year after year, those trees eventually die. Yep. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that was the first time we noticed there had been an issue with these trees. They're fairly good size. They're not little. Yeah. Yeah, you just want to make sure that you're applying those chemicals, um, you know, with low wind days, wind away from those trees, um, <clears throat> that it's not too hot, not too humid, where those products are going to turn into gas and move to non-targets, um, yeah. that kind of stuff. So, you know, we just got to be careful with our herbicides. Okay. Mm -hmm. Also, I have, uh, we talked about Japanese beetles earlier. The yeah. last three or four years, I've got a really good-sized linden tree. I think it is in front of the house. And they've defoliated that tree every mm -hmm. year yep. before I can realize it and spray and knock them off, and then they seem to stay away. But how, how many years can that tree get defoliated like that and still maintain? That, you know, it it can do pretty well with that. Um, they can take it, and they'll come back. But the thing to be careful with on lindens is when you're spraying, um, you need to make sure that they're completely done flowering before you are spraying because lindens are a very highly po uh, pollinated tree. So you got a lot of pollinators on there. Uh, if you're spraying while they're active, then you're going to you kill those pollinators as well. So um, just make sure they're done blooming, done with their full flower period before you spray. That's why we can't use a systemic insecticide on a linden. Um, but then you can spray it with, you know, seven or something. And But a lot of times by that time, the beetles have have already done their damage so it's a right. tough one but yeah but it, i i don't know that they really kill it from that usually they keep coming back yeah i've okay. heard foresters say that that um it's one of the things that they tend not to kill mm -hmm. is the linden tree so the good news is is that you know the tree will survive the bad news is it looks really terrible yeah. oh yeah they just scalpelize the leaves or just you can see mm -hmm. through every leaf almost on the tree most times i got them a little early this year so i saved a few leaves Right. Yeah. Okay. Thank, uh, thank you for your thank call. You. That's Gary from Plymouth. We appreciate your call, and we'll be back with your call, too. 402-729-3383. Uh, back after this time out. 402-729-3383. Talk to you on the other side. Good morning and welcome back to Yard and Garden Live on Ored 99.5, the only yard and garden show that has really, really cool bumper music. <laughs> <laughs> All right, enough of that. 402-729-3383. 402-729-3383. Phone lines are open so you can get through and ask your questions of uh, of uh, not uh, not only just Nicole Stoner this week, we have Kathleen Q, who's an extension educator in Dodge County, answering questions. And uh, betwixt the two of them, can generally come up with an answer to your question as long as it doesn't have fur, paws, teeth, or tail. <laughs> they're they're fairly fairly good. Uh, or the other creature that uh, I'm not a fan of. Okay, yeah. Uh, yeah, we won't even talk about snakes. Mm -mm. do want to tell you about the uh, Plymouth Flower and Art Show. It is uh, tomorrow. Tomorrow, uh, it, uh, the show itself is from uh, 10 until 2. You All you have to do is get your displays there by 9.30, and you can go as early as 7.30 to get your displays in. And, and I, you know, it's just like, sh come and show up, and whether you've got flowers or art or photos, you just... There's room for everybody. 
room for everybody. And then to top it all off, before you go home, uh, you're going to want to go down Daylily Drive. That's about five miles west of Plymouth. Uh, Daylilies are in bloom. And I think uh, the wife and I are going to be motoring that way this evening. There you go. Uh, so I think we will uh, take that in. And, uh, again, this is their annual their show. It's at the Plymouth Community Building. And if anybody would have any questions, uh, you can just get a hold of Nancy over there in Plymouth, and she'll help you all. She'll help you out. 402-729-3383. We certainly have time for your question. If you hop on the phone and give us a call right now at 402-729-3383. Randy, did you um, in the area get some flooding around here? Uh, yeah, Jefferson County was in a flood warning uh, for a couple of hours on Thursday morning. Mm -hmm. uh, it's been a long week. Yeah, you know, it's Thursday. been a short week, but it's been a long week. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we we uh, uh, we had some we had some really really heavy rain. In fact, I want to let you know what I had heard from our eman er emergency man manager, uh, management director, uh, John McKee. Uh, a seven day ro rain total of uh, four inches and 37 one hundredths. Wow. Uh, that was in the past seven days. He says, looking ahead the next seven days, it'll be dry. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's so <coughs> funny. Not funny, funny, haha. But just it's strange how, you know, y the rain keeps coming and coming and coming and you're flooding and you're, and then mm -hmm. three days later, you know, it's just out there and it's dust. Right. It doesn't take long for it to, uh, to go away. Well, what I wanted to remind people was um, trees and lawns should be fine because of the short period of time they were underwater. Right. But if you had a vegetable garden that uh -huh. was under flooded waters, yeah, yeah, probably uh, the best is to just get rid of those plants yeah. um, because of uh, the the things that come along with flood water. You know, yeah. it brings everything in its path with it, um, and that can be um, you don't want to consume after after that. So. Yeah, I, I can't imagine, but, you know, people who live along maybe a river, a creek, or mm -hmm. Little Blue, Big Blue, one of the tributaries there, right. uh, have a really good piece of brown dirt that they grow, you know, but mm -hmm. then every once in a while, it, a flood comes up and, and gets into it, but as quick as it, as it comes, it does go, but, but in the meantime... It, even if it was under it for a little period of time, yeah, in the it's meantime. still bringing that debris with it, and... Yeah possible pesticides and all kinds dead of dead animals yeah yeah things that you would be potentially be eating yeah. if you're mm -hmm. eating the vegetables from those gardens and most of the um, things I've seen on that is that it takes around a hundred days for uh, that breakdown through sunlight and air circulation to break those products down and so a yeah, lot of that stuff you don't have a hundred days yeah. to wait to harvest yeah. and so I mean if you want to err on the side of picking those things and throwing them away or composting them or something else and then waiting that 100 days. But, you know, that's going to get you well into the fall right. before you mm -hmm. can eat anything. It may be just easier to not to pull those plants off. Yeah, maybe go to farmer the farmer's market. market. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> we think alike. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh, that's you too that's long, really Randy. scary. <laughs> we have Shirley on the phone. Uh, Shirley from Fairbury. Hi, Shirley. What's going on? Hi. Uh, well, this is in regards to that Beatles 
And I have a iridescent beetle on my perennial hibiscus, and I've been flicking them into soapy water. Mm-hmm. But one year, if I could spray it with seven, would that do the trick? Yeah. Um, how big is that um, beetle? Is it pretty good size? No. Uh, I tell you, in the spring, they're real tiny, but they're at the back of them is really pretty. It's iridescent greens and reds and 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 uh, they're just numerous on my hibiscus and my roses. And uh, so I think last year I had heard you say um, about flicking them into soapy water. I just shake the branch. I mean, there mm-hmm. might be 10 of them on a branch, and I'll just flick them into a soapy water. And that uh, I thought, well, maybe if I could just spray the bush, that would help. Yeah, if um, any of those, I don't know for sure. It doesn't sound like that's probably the Japanese beetle, um, but a seven would work on that just as easy as anything else. Um, the flicking it in the soap, uh, soapy water works, but if you start to get a lot of them, it, you know, it can be time-consuming in that. So, right. yeah, definitely if um, if you wanted to spray a little seven on it, that would that would take care of it. That would take care of it. Okay, very great. Thank you so thank, much. Thank, thank you for you. your call. Uh, let's, uh, do a quick timeout and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere, okay? Thank you. Uh, before we forget what we're doing here, we want to say thank you to Kathleen for, for yeah. coming down. And, thank you so uh, much. Appreciate yeah. it. Thanks for having me. It's always fun. Uh, and now you know you are expected to come back next year. Oh, would love it. <laughs> okay, great. That's good. Um, and I want to thank everybody who listened, everybody who called. Um, yeah, both of you are as equally imp- important as the other. Maybe if you didn't call uh, next time around, uh, you will need to call or want to call, and uh, we will be here next Friday again on the 15th of July for yet another Yard and Garden Live. And who do we have next week? We have Lori Stepanek coming down from the Forest Service. Okay, so, very yeah. good. A forester. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so, yeah, until then, you know, everyone just keep it green and keep it growing.